0: Hello my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. These messages are for all and so I need to introduce for those that are new, what these messages are about. There is an ultimate fulfillment that is everlasting and enlarging that you were created to have. It goes on without end. Oh, how could that be true, you say? Oh, we see death everywhere. We see suffering everywhere. It must be there's no God, really? Is that where your focus is, is on all the things that are dying, that are being degraded because of corruption? I wanna tell you, there is ultimate meaning and purpose for your lives. There's all the objective evidence and more than enough from every field of science and archaeology to highly confirm the reality of what I'm about to share here. Yes, the source of all there is of reality itself is love. An ultimate perfection and manifestation of love. It is the very reason for which you exist and all things exist and the very ultimate purpose for which all things are fulfilling their little purpose that they were created for. What is this love I'm talking about? It is the very source of love. It is a love that is far greater than feeling or sexual pleasure or any of these things. I am talking about a love that freely chooses and always freely chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. You see, if you have any lesser choice, you have a measure of corruption. The quality I am talking about is only what could be the ultimate source of creation because it is the opposite of corruption in fact it is the destroyer of corruption this love is so pure and integral that it is that it is as it were a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good It's better than life itself. There's a verse in the Bible that describes God this way. Thy loving kindness is better than life. That is because love is the very source of life. And that is who the one true eternal God is. He is an ultimate perfection of love. That is the very opposite of corruption. that will never condone what is contrary to love, this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. The reason you were created was to experience love yourself and find pleasure therein, but ultimately in the one true eternal God who created you, for he created all things for his pleasure. That's what it says in the Bible. But therein also is your everlasting fulfillment and pleasure when you discover the source of love from which issues all that is beautiful and intelligent and good without corruption. But of course, God didn't create us as mere robots that have an outside source of input for information and then process that with a certain output. God created us as beings that are self-originating, that have the capacity to love, because that is the highest form of life and of fulfillment and of also what counteracts anything that is contrary to love and life. For example, the second law of thermodynamics in science says that anything left on its own always goes in a direction of greater and greater disorder to complete chaos. Well, that means in the infinite past we should have already come into complete chaos because there's no beginning. But here we are in a highly designed and complex universe that is so vast beyond our comprehension. You only have to consider the speed of light that goes around the world seven times in one second. And what is it? The closest star takes five light years to get to. Five years at the speed so fast that it can go around the world seven times in one second. And yet, do you know that there are far more stars than all the grains of dust and sand that would make up this Earth? Consider this, that the James Webb Space Telescope, which is now operational, is a hundred times more powerful than the Hubble. Now they don't believe in the Big Bang anymore, or even the top experts that promoted it, because they thought the Big Bang was what created everything. No. Now they're discovering that's not so. They're beginning to think, oh, maybe the universe doesn't have any beginning, just like God. Well, maybe it's God that continually has been creating without beginning and is beyond time and space but he created you with a capacity to have your own free will, to be the source of your own action. You create your own choices. You, as a result of your choices, if they are against the ultimate reality, which is who God is, That is actually basically the name for God in the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, that is often used, is Yahweh. Some pronounce it Yehovah, it's more accurately Yahweh. It basically means the ultimate source of reality, separate above and beyond creation. And the second word that is often used with that word is the word in English God it would be Lord for Yahweh and God in the Hebrew would be most often Elohim Elohim means the Almighty's plural referring to the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and I'll explain that further why there must be three personages to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence but right now I'm focusing on this that God created you with the capacity to love and therefore he created you with your own free will, which means you're the source of your own action, which means you are self-responsible for your choices, which means that when God created free will beings such as Satan, which is a fallen angel that rebelled against him, well, you can't blame God. He did not create the devil. That was the choices that... Lucifer may. But God's intention is that he would bring us into harmony with his love. With his love, out of our own free will, choosing to come into conformity to who he is. His ultimate purpose is to have a corporate bride of people in this world from every background to be married to his creation, to inhabit it as a temple that he is building. So if there are stones that don't want to fit in because of their own free choices and become part of the waste process that is left over after a new building is built, that was their choice but it will not negate the ultimate purpose of everlasting, ever-enlarging fulfillment in union with God, for God to experience pleasure in his bride and for us to know that ultimate experience of ever-enlarging pleasure as well that will go on forever with our own unique creative being that God gave us, ever-enlarging in creativity and fulfillments of pleasure. In fact, The waste sodas, which represents eternal suffering in hell and those that have chosen to conform themselves into a state that is anti-life, hell contagious, is insignificant compared to the ultimate purpose of heaven forever, of God having his corporate bride, of there being a building he can it of living stones. Through the Spirit of God. That's God's ultimate purpose. That is why everything in nature has male and female counterparts. Even the negative, negative and positive symbol in nature speaks volumes. What is it saying? Well, the negative symbol I've been describing, it is the integrity of integrity of God's love that will not tolerate what is contrary to love. This represents the negative symbol, which represents an indestructible foundation, the very foundation of reality. It also represents cutting off all corruption, but it is out of the negative symbol that by crossing out the negative symbol, you have the symbol of the cross or the positive symbol you see god will not tolerate corruption in you or in me our own free will in rebelling against him but his love is so great and it was always was in the infinite past so great that it was not just in his mind but it was the very it was his very being and therefore an actual reality that before the world cr- was created as it were He came into this time and space realm and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffered more than you, a mere creature on the cross. He became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for you so that you could freely choose To cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Forgive me, cleanse me of my sins. Wash my sins away in your blood that was shed on the cross. And yes, he will. And you will be reconciled to God. There is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love. Or that could exist that is greater than this love. Only this love could be entrusted with unlimited power, unlimited life and authority without abusing that in a corrupt way or or being corrupted by it. Thus indicative that he is the very source of all good, of all life. Yes, the universe is vast and great and infinite. I mean, there are many suns that are way bigger than our sun, or if you call them stars, that's what we call them. There are stars that are probably a thousand times bigger than our sun. Our sun's just an average-sized star. Do you know how many stars there are in the universe according to what only the top, most powerful telescopes can see, and they can't see it all? Enough for every single grain of sand to have a thousand stars. Enough for 7 billion people to have something like 18, forget if it's 18 trillion or 80 trillion stars. That's how vast the creation is. And yes, God is so great that he could come down to this little speck of a planet in the midst of this Milky Way galaxy of between 100 billion and 400 billion stars. And humble himself more than you a mere creature, and suffer more than you a mere creature on the cross. I mean, how awesome is our Creator. The one that created ourselves so unique that in our cells there are little machines that are so complex that man could never create them. There's little robots in our cells that have two arms and that have two legs, I forget the name of them. And they walk around on tracks that are also created in amazing ways to get around objects and so on. And they have little bits of material that they're given and there's an address put on it to deliver it to another location where it's processed and so on. These things are so much more complex than man could ever make. And you can't even see a cell and that's going on in your cell. And they see that these little robots that are walking all over in your cells if they were our size, they would be walking at 2,000 miles an hour, according to what I saw on Genesis Science Network, which you can watch at genesisscience.org. if I've got it right. It's on my website, which I do want to introduce. That's at ultimatemeaning.com. That's ultimatemeaning.com, where there is a flip book written by myself, by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me, that answers many hard questions, the hardest questions you can think of, that points to ultimate meaning and purpose and exposes the mastery of deception in such lies and pseudoscience as the false theory of evolution, which has been exposed in every field of science to be nothing more than a big lie. Yes. God allows delusion. It says in the Word of God that He will give them strong delusion to believe a lie that they all might be condemned who loved not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God is calling you to choose life. And to choose life is to choose to acknowledge His love, that it will not tolerate corruption. And that's what is involved in choosing to genuinely fear God so that you have genuine conversion in your heart. The genuine fear of God acknowledges that the holiness of God is good, that he has our best intentions in mind. Obviously he does. When you consider that his love is so great that he humbled himself more than you, a mere creature on the cross and suffered more than you, a mere creature on the cross. And he rose again the third day. And over 500 people saw him at one time as recorded in the book of Acts. And there have been lawyers, four lawyers for sure that I know, that have sought to write a book against the resurrection. And in the process, that's the resurrection of Christ. And in the process were converted because the evidence was so overwhelming from various witnesses, that weren't believers at that time and so on, all adding up to irrefutable, very strong, let's put it that way, very strong evidence. There is no excuse. His death was foretold hundreds and hundreds of years before he came in detail, which you can find in the Old Testament scriptures. It is God's ultimate purpose that we embrace the cross of his love. Do you know that the last letter of the most ancient languages back 1500 BC, 2000 BC and earlier, which includes the Hebrew language and the Phoenician language and others, is the symbol of the cross just as we know it today. And that represents that God's love is so great that he could cross out what was against us because of our rebellion against him if we would just call on him and cry out to him and thank him for who he is and his mercy to have given had the to have the power to forgive us without violating the integrity of his love because he took judgment upon himself oh i could talk a long time about this i mention the god Only this quality of love could be entrusted with unlimited life and power and authority, and that is true. And also, God could only be God if he's in three personages because he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, beyond time and space. And then there's creation, the creation realm and then there's omnipresence. These are the three ultimate aspects of existence. So God is the father, meaning originator, is beyond time and space, seeing the end from the beginning, knowing every detail before it is, comes to pass. Even every car accident, every mistake, he has for known everything in your life in detail as well. How do I know that? Well. I've written a book titled Afterlife, Incredible Irrefutable, 368 large paperback book, which you can also get on your phone or digital device. The evidence in the afterlife is irrefutable. It is very empirical. Because time and time again, doctors operate on people when they know they've died. The medical equipment verifies they've been dead for some, like Dean Braxton, almost two hours. And there are many others. This repeats itself over and over again. And these people that were dead tell the doctors in detail what they were talking about what they were doing on their body, et cetera, et cetera, what was happening in the room next to them, what the relatives were saying and doing, and all, this repeats itself over and over. And it's highly known that these people were dead, by many witnesses, over and over. One of the most, it is the strongest empirical evidence of life after death. Of course, particle physics reveals that the third dimension is a very inferior dimension compared to the fourth, the fifth, all the way up to the tenth and possibly beyond. Mathematical analysis is showing that. I can't get into all that. That's in my book. But people that have died like Dean Braxton, which you can look up on YouTube, B-R-A-X-T-O-N is his last name, Dean. Just put in front of it, N-D-E, standing for near-death experiences. They describe this love. They describe that the other dimension is so much more inferior. You, you feel, there's no words to describe. You could say 50 times more real and a 1,000 times more real would be probably more accurate. Many people experience that, not all, because some are close to the truth and when they transcend into that other dimension, they're on a way less real plane. Eyesight. They can see right through their body, behind their body. They can see inside their body. They can see at distances of 10 miles in detail. There's, It's 360 degree vision. That's what it's like in the superior, ultra-real, permanent realm. In your superior, ultra-real, permanent body that is what you have left when you shed your physical shell. So I'm here to share with you good news that all the lies of people with their false theories and rebellion against God, like the theory of evolution, is exposed on my book at ultimatemeaning.com as to be nothing more than lies. And I have videos there. So I've shared a lot for those that are new. It's a large introduction, isn't it? That's because I like to share the good news with those that have never heard. The truth because we're living in the last days. And this is a message for the last days. It is the everlasting gospel because it has been from eternity before the world was created. This quality of God's love was always there. It was a reality in God that he would come and condescend upon the cross. And we look at this vast universe, of myriads and myriads of stars, way more than every single speck of dust and grain of sand upon this earth, and they can't find the end of it. Many of those stars are a thousand times bigger than our sun, which is a thousand times bigger than the earth. Five light years to get to the closest star. Wow. And some people think, oh, as Christians, oh, I guess... There's only life in on planet Earth and nowhere else. Personally, I don't believe that, because I see many verses in the Bible that indicate that he might reconcile all things, both which are in the heavens and on the earth. And because when it says he created the stars and the host thereof, the word host thereof is talking about not stars, but the dwelling of beings thereof from those. stars, which would have, of course, planets around them. Yes, Christ came to this world and he died and he rose again. And it's only through what God did by coming to the cross and totally absorbing death and swallowing that corruption without it corrupting him And because it couldn't corrupt him, he rose from the dead. The one and true and only one true God. It is only through the one and only full expression of God into the creation realm, which is Jesus Christ, that you can be saved And any other being from any other planet. So it's good news. And I want to share with you today how I share these messages for those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that's what I will seek to do in these messages. I will seek to allow the Spirit of God to speak through me. It says in Revelations 19.10, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy. It is when we worship God in spirit and in truth with great reverence and awe and humility and love for God that we are filled with His Spirit and an overflow that can result in creative utterances coming from the Spirit of God. And that's referring in 1 Peter 4.11 to believers coming together especially. They're all to be functioning in the gifts of the spirit is very clear from the word of God. And yet the church is so dead and asleep today that most churches, they'll allow a few people to share and you gotta ask permission to use the mic. That's not what God wants in the last days. How dare you limit God through his body It is time that you get out of the way shepherds that stand in the way of what God wants to do through moving through his body. He is calling the body of Christ to rise up. And it should be the shepherds that are encouraging each member to function in the gifts of the spirit and not to sit back in passivity to hear a long sermon. It doesn't mean the pastor doesn't preach his message but it means that we come into a new order in these last days. That's what God is calling for. Do not limit my headship in my body. Do not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting local assembly, but fully facilitate and encourage each member of the body to function. That doesn't matter how that gift comes forth. Whatever is on their heart, in their uniqueness and creativity, encourage it and let it come forth to edify the body of Christ, whether that's a prayer or a testimony or a word of encouragement or a prophetic word or a word of knowledge or a spontaneous song where you don't know what you're going to sing, but you sing out a love song unto God and lo and behold, how often I've experienced that flow into a beautiful, beautiful, sometimes even poetic song, beautiful words. And he is jealous for his bride and he's not gonna have people standing in the way of what he wants to fulfill in these last days as he said in John 17. He will fulfill that prayer. As truly as I live, says the Lord, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's calling for the body of Christ to wake up. We're living in a very urgent hour, and man, if people don't see what's going on around them right now, how crucial it is how everything is so close to possible great destruction in so many aspects of our lives. Of judgment is really what it is. But what can turn this around is when the body of Christ awakens out of its sleep and allows the Spirit of God I am telling the church no longer be satisfied with just your little short service. My suggestion is start a church service up that goes on Sunday or Saturday from around two in the afternoon to six in the evening, where you have a whole hour in prayer first. And out of that prayer, then you go into singing and worship. And out of that singing and worship, you be allowed. The free flow of the gifts of the Spirit and you encourage it. And out of that, then comes the ministry of the Word through the pastor or through whatever, whoever else. And so on and so forth. I don't have time to get into it. So I prepare these messages by seeking to speak as the oracles of God. Out of a heart set and a mindset of worship, so that is what I will seek to do. So I don't have anything prepared, but I do do one thing to facilitate hearing what God is saying by his spirit to the body of Christ. I cast lots to get the possibility of any two chapters from the word of God through two independent random applications which I pray in great reverence before God and sanctify before God each time I use them. I sanctify them afresh. And then I... I meditate on those two chapters for only half an hour. And then speak immediately after, which is what I'm doing today. Although I'm only doing it once a week right now. (laughs) So I will touch on various chapters I receive throughout the week. I also do cast lots to try to get the best song by God's leading That will go with the message. And this one certainly does go with the message. I wouldn't say it's one of my more. It's one of the songs I put up on my worship playlist. Which has a lot of songs I really like. (laughs) This one's kind of. Some of you might really like this song. But it sure got good words for what. Applies to the message that I'm about to share with you here. And so. We'll first of all, go with that. So I'm gonna bring up the worship song now. And I will minimize myself a moment here. And we'll just go with this song, which is the one I got by the Casting of Lot. It's amazing this even got on my playlist, but it's, it's a reasonably good one. So here we go, I'm very fussy. Got to have very good meaning in the words and nice tune and so on. So, here we go. First of all, we'll get it playing.
1: To possess the fullness of this world's reality Together we will gain this hall and close to Christ and these to us
0: Indeed, God is calling us to conquer the nations as never before with the everlasting gospel in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Indeed so and may it be so. Hallelujah. Praise God. Sorry there. So I want to share with you what I have received this week by the casting of Lot before God. And so I will now just bring up the scriptures that I received this week, starting on this last Tuesday. Today is Saturday, which is August the 19th of 2023. Sometimes I do, by microphone to type, make brief notes, as I have done here on Tuesday. And so we, by the casting of Lot, I received First Chronicles 20 and 1 Corinthians 10. And in 1 Chronicles 20, we see giants that can intimidate us into fear. But when David overcame the giant, the others followed and we're even more successful to overcome even greater giants, as you will see in that passage. And so I go on here to emphasize that the giants intimidate with fear because you see them and you see how in the natural you could never overcome such giants. And so the enemy does this to us. He gets us to look in the natural, at things, so that we will be intimidated into a state which is uptightness or anxiety, which is basically fear, because fear is basically a consciousness of loss. I'm talking about fear that is a negative fear, that is an unhealthy fear, that is the opposite of the fear of God, which is a healthy fear, on to life. It is not Unhealthy to fear the law, law of gravity because that allows you to make your choices in such a way that gravity will not kill you and that you will instead go in the way of life. And so we want to look at a few of these scriptures here before we go into this a little bit further and touch on it. I want to point out. Some of the things in First Chronicles twenty four to eight that are interesting to note. It says here, beginning in verse four, and it came to pass after this that there arose war at Gezer with the Philistines. At which time, Zebichai, the Hushai, Hushathite, slew sepiai of the children of the giant, and they were subdued. And there was war again with the Philistines. And Elhanan, the son of Jar, slew Lamai, the brother of Goliath the Gittite, whose spear staff was like a weaver's beam. These are giants equally as big as the one that David slew. And they came against them with fearlessness. Then we go on. Yet again, there was war at Gath, where was a man of great stature, whose fingers and toes were four and twenty, six and six on each foot? And he also was the son of the giant. But when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimeah, David's brother slew him. These were born unto the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So here you have one of David's brothers that was mocking David when he came to look, to to bring them food and said, oh, you're just coming to see the battle. Go on to your father, you shouldn't be here. And David, seeing this giant mocking and intimidating. And this very brother would have been one of them that was mocking and intimidating David. But after they saw how God chose David and used him and anointed him to destroy that giant, we see here that they also came to a place of absolute abhorrence of the way they treated David and of repentance before God. And then they could walk in the same power and authority over the enemy that David had. Now, if they hadn't repented, and they still had a bitter, jealous attitude towards King David, I'm sure that wouldn't have been the case. But here, God uses them. You see, the Word of God says that what casts out fear, which is the consciousness of loss, is perfect love. And perfect love also comes out of, can only come out of, the genuine fear of God because the genuine fear of God is always totally identified in who God is, like a sponge, totally, and more than a sponge, totally reciprocative of who God is. To want to drink in, as it were, like a sponge, who God is first in his holiness that he will be severe even to us and we are willing to say to him father i choose to be clay before you the potter i choose to buy of you gold tried in the fire to allow you to put me through trials and tests rather than to have the pleasures of this world so that i might be brought into that wonderful love union with you Deal with the corruption in my life, deal with the sin in my life, with my tendencies to become proud, to become uh, whatever it is, critical or of others when I shouldn't, or whatever kind of condition there is. So we have this reciprocative state of being, of like of being a being st- a sponge. It's almost like you're being baptized into who God is, because the word baptism comes from the Greek word in the New Testament that means to dye a garment. In other words, it's a full saturation or an imbuing of something into that cloth that changes its color and its identity. And when you come into the genuine fear of God, you recognize the purity of God's love as good and its severity against sin in your life. And you do not look at all the suffering around you and the world as being caused by God, but by those in rebellion against God. And therefore you recognize that God's consequences that we see around us is good because it is holding corruption in check, which is what destroys goodness, which is what is the result of love in its creativity, the experience of fulfillment, of pleasure that is ever enlarging, which is the experience of life that is ever enlarging. And so we experience this saturation in the fear, out of the fear of God, of reciprocating the purity of his love, which is his holiness. And out of that then is only when we can know the greatness of his mercy to us by calling out on him and saying, God, be merciful to me and strengthen me. I trust in you to give me supernatural power and strength that will swallow up all my consciousness of loss and of fear so that we become bold and walk out of a pure, when you have a holy pure walk, is only when you can walk in the power and the authority of the Spirit of God to destroy the giants, whatever they are, of the enemy that is being put before you to try to to cause you to shrink back and not take the land, as the song we sung said is calling us brothers and sisters. And that's what we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 14 are the things that can rob us from this relationship with God. We read there, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So here they're drinking of a spiritual rock, not just the physical rock that God opened to provide for them. He wanted to teach them not to be intimidated by circumstances where they experience thirst. There's no, I, one can understand when you're in a desert and there's no food around and you're thirsty, being concerned about it. But when you begin to question God and murmur, you're not drinking of God. You're losing the fear of God. There's doubt, the enemy's throwing doubt at you. Hath God said that he would bring you to the promised land? Really? Oh, maybe it's all a lie. Hath God said, just like with Eve when she lost the fear of God the moment she bought into doubt, the fear of God always trusts that God is good in his severity and will make a way out because we know that God is love that he has our best interests in mind. But what happened? Yes, they had the spiritual drink. They did drink of God's presence. They did worship him. They did know his deliverance. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And we know what it mentions here. It warns not to be like them. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed fornication and fell in one day, three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of servants. Neither murmur ye, as some... We are all tempted to enter into murmuring. We don't understand what God's allowing. I have been tempted to murmur many times. I have probably murmured, and I've immediately repented. (coughs) When I have, I've caught myself slipping, But we repent and we do not allow ourselves to murmur and we come to a place where we're broken in like a horse that bucks the rider and we finally know that we can be at peace with the lord having the reins of our free will for he will guide us in the paths that are his ways And then we will be those that will be on white horses following him into battle as the body of Christ in these last days to conquer the nations for the glory of God. But we must come to that place of being willing to buy of him the gold tried in the fire and to go through what the children of Israel went through so that we come into the place where we do not fall into unbelief but we inherit what God is calling us to inherit in this world of souls for the kingdom of God and also of turning a nation back to righteousness from impending judgment and death. That is what God is calling the church to wake up and to do in these last days. I could go on reading all of these scriptures for time I forbear, do only go on and touch briefly on some of the other scriptures bringing me to today eventually for time. On Wednesday, I received Isaiah 61 and Numbers 13. Isaiah 61 is about conquering the whole earth with worship and praise unto God. It's a wonderful psalm. It is what God is right now seeking to bring your assembly to be part of. Will you be part of what God does in the last days? As is described in Isaiah 61. In Numbers 13, it's about the requirements to conquer the promised land, even though there were giants and well fortified cities. Again, God is giving the same message it's time to conquer your nation with the gospel. Not to be asleep, wake up. This is the key above anything else to turning a nation back to God from the obvious corruption that is in the educational systems, in the government systems. I need not mention it is obvious to most people that are watching And I have very good links on my website at ultimatemeaning.com to good news sources on the homepage a little ways, short distance from the top there, not too far. God is calling us to be those that will conquer. And so we read a bit of what's in Isaiah 61 verses 4 to 5 is not maybe the main thing I want to bring out in it, but I'll bring it out and they shall build the old wastes, they shall raise up the former desolations, they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the alien shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. And in Acts we read, Who concerning Jesus Christ, whom the heavens must receive until the restitution of all things? We are That generation upon whom the ends of the ages have come, are we going to be those that are waylaid, like the children of Israel, that were sent to go back into the wilderness and die? Are we going to be those that wake up out of our sleep of loving the world and not being who God has called us to be? as individuals in our own personal lives, putting him first, and as assembly becoming an habitation that does not limit the fullness of his glory from dwelling in our midst in these last days. This is the time to enter in to the fulfillment of your life that is beyond what you can ask or imagine what God has for them that love his appearing, that love him, that give their lives wholly to him with a whole heart in these last days. Oh, hallelujah. I want to read, you know, I, I might turn to Isaiah 61 because it's such a wonderful song and I really did want to read some other verses there. And so I'm going to try to skip over to Isaiah 61 here, from where I am right now. Isaiah 61. I will go there quickly to Isaiah 61. It's not a long chapter. It's only got 11 verses. And there it's a beautiful, beautiful chapter. And, and God is calling us all to become what he's, what is mentioned in this chapter. Oh, you know, I, I wish I could just read everything in it, but for a time I probably will forbear to do that. It says in the last part here, it says their seed shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. Oh, in the last days, when the church comes together and the glory and presence of God comes down, brothers and sisters, his glory will shine through you. It says, Arise, shine, in Isaiah 60, the chapter before. It says, Gross darkness, covers the earth in the last days is speaking about this gross darkness of hopelessness which has now happened and it calls us and it says in Isaiah 60 arise shine for thy light is come and here we see this light being described they will acknowledge that God has blessed you Yahweh is the exact word I will greatly rejoice in Yahweh My soul shall be joyful in my Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her blood, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God, that is, In this case, I know it is Adonai, Yahweh. When it's small letters for the word Lord, it is Adonai. And then God becomes Yahweh in the original. For the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. This is his zeal for the last days. And the question is whether we are going to walk in his ways, and and so I describe also Numbers 13 here, them bringing up an evil report of the land and saying, well, there's all these giants, and so those were the chapters. I just sometimes cast lot to get an extra chapter to get more insight. Actually, in this one, no, I only got those two chapters, Numbers 13 and Isaiah 61, pardon me, So, yeah, that was, the other one was Numbers 13, where, again, it's about giants, which we received earlier. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. So we were in their sight. And so the enemy intimidates us by the fact that, obviously, in the natural, you're not going to be able to defeat some great, big, humongous being that you only your head only goes up to his kneecap. But when you have God with you, God will deal with that problem. And that was the attitude that Caleb and Joshua had. Instead of those, it fell into unbelief. But we can say the same thing today, brothers and sisters. Oh, we don't need to become a church that has four-hour meetings. We don't need to have people moving in the gifts of the Spirit. We're satisfied with our own little boring church service. If you want to have a church service that isn't boring, you just let God fully have his way in each member of the body, and you let God move fully through the church as he did in the early church as he did in every major revival, except this time he's going to have the wineskin that will not allow pride to creep in with a denominative mindset and spirit to cause division and fragmentation. No, it will ever enlarge. It will be the restitution of all things that will take place until praise springs forth throughout all the earth as the buds spring forth in a garden. Hallelujah. I want to go on. I cannot for time continue to go into depth and preach on every message, but just to touch on it. On Thursday, I got Zephaniah 3 and Luke 11. It's a contrast between self-righteous pride and humility out of the genuine fear of God. And in Zephaniah 3, I will point out this. Particularly because I think it's important to see this. This is speaking of the last days, just before the return of Christ. In that day shall thou not be ashamed for all thy doings. Or this is maybe probably at the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, actually. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride. There are people, and I'm not against them, I'm for them, supporting Israel and standing with Israel, but there are people that can be so caught up with identifying with the nation of Israel that there is a spirit of pride there. Let's beware of that. I'm totally for that. I believe that that's what we should be doing, is supporting and praying for God's people to come to know the Messiah. But beware of this spirit of pride where we want to identify with those that are elite and chosen of God, but there's not the right spirit. There's an element of pride, of elitism that we need to repent of. And so what does the Lord say here? I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted poor people, and they shall trust in the name of Yahweh. Jesus Christ said, he is the I am, and the I am is referring to Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for the one true eternal God. Yahweh is in the Father, Yahweh is in the Son, Yahweh is in the Holy Spirit. Yahweh is the Spirit, and they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, we read here, as we go on, The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. And of course, the contrast with that was what I found in Luke 11, where we see the self-righteous rejecting Christ. Christ and the gospel. I'm not going to go into it for time. Friday, both chapters, Deuteronomy 22 and 1 Thessalonians 3, both chapters are on love and holiness in relation to each other in everyday life, prevailing over evil. And let us get to the last day, which is today. And my, you know, I've been preaching so much that The message, which probably I should have focused on the most, which is this one for Saturday, is Galatians 2 and Haggai 1. And when I did seek for more confirmation, I did get it with Malachi 2, and it became very clear what God was saying. So, I will continue to um, speak here. I don't know how much more time there is here on this message, but I'm going to continue. Um, Galatians is emphasizing, but if first of all, in Galatians 2, the word building is mentioned, and in Haggai 1, the word building is mentioned. But the word building in Galatians 2 is very different than how the word building in Haggai 1 is used, and so let us look at what we see in Galatians 2. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. This is about building the things that are contrary to God in our lives that are coming out of our own self-sufficiency and righteousness which has, with, at its very root, pride. That is what this is talking about here in Galatians. The emphasis is that we are not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ, as it says in verse 16. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You see, before the law was given, there was no law, and yet you have great men of God, like Abraham, great men of God like Enoch that walked so close to God that he was literally translated just as Elijah was translated. These were people that were truly born again of the Spirit. And oh God, I have a whole teaching on this. So don't, you're really, if you want the teaching that is not the teaching of man, but the teaching that comes from God, you will understand that People were born again of the Spirit from the time of Adam on. It is very clear, someone like Enoch can't have such a close relationship with God that he's translated and not be born again of the Spirit. Christ expected Nicodemus to know what it meant to be born of the Spirit before he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Oh, but what about the scripture that says Israel will be saved as a nation, and then their heart will be turned from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Yeah, as a nation that is true, but there's always been a remnant from the time of Adam on that experienced rebirth. Well, what about the difference between before and after Christ? It comes down to this, in John 14. It says, You know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Before Christ came, the spirit and the soul could not be cleansed, but the flesh could be through animal sacrifice, allowing the Spirit of God to dwell only with your soul and spirit. But that's enough to bring a converted state of being. So when you cry out unto God and your heart is in rebellion like a fist, and you open up and have faith unto God in the Old Testament, as well as in you, and you become reciprocative like this open hand to saturate, and absorb who God really is in his holiness and then therein in his mercy and grace. Then the Spirit of God comes to dwell with your soul and spirit and now this hand can't close back and you have the seed of a new divine nature. That happened because they knew him even when he dwelt with them because in the dwelling with there is also this reality. That's in the time before Christ came. And yes, when Enoch was translated, the reality that Christ was slain before the foundation and it was beyond the time realm became a reality as well. It was applied instantly into his life. But that's just some explanation. But what I'm sharing here with you is that There is an emphasis here on the danger of falling into trusting in our own efforts to please God and performance before God even now after Christ. The church of Ephesus lost their first love. They were diligent to test those that said they were apostles or not, and are not. Nowadays, the church is so blind, it can't even do that overall speaking. They swallow all kinds of things that are false teachings and false doctrines. They don't even, they just turn the other way. Oh, we'll ignore that. Yeah, it's good. We need to love people even when they're in error, and I agree with that. But let's be careful that we do not condone those teachings that take people away from the genuine fear of God and take us away into a deceptive counterfeit church with counterfeit gifts of the Spirit, etc. We need to be in our guard because there's great deception coming in these last days. In Haggai, the building is what God is wanting to say is the case right now. So I want to emphasize This is about taking our nation. This is about to take our nation. There must be the restoration of the living stones coming together to form an habitation of God through the Spirit, and local assembly as never before that will not limit God. For thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. And of course, God was not blessing them. There was drought. And what was their response? Their response was very good. They chose to fear God, it says. And so we read here this. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Josadeth, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before Yahweh. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message, unto the people, saying, I am am with you, saith Yahweh. Why? Because they repented and they did fear before Yahweh. So they came, what would have hindered them from building the house of the Lord would have been if they fell into the trap that the Galatians fell into? where they were building again their own self-righteous ways as a justification for having an easy life. Oh, we're doing all of this for you, God, you must be pleased. Therefore, I can do all of this and this and ignore loving you. That's exactly what it boils down to. Oh, I like doing this. You see, there are many loves of the world in these last days that people are drawn into. The gods of amusement is one of them, where sports is continually watched. So many amusements. The word of God says we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. Am I going to tell you it's wrong to watch a game or something? No, I don't want to put you under the legalism and the very thing I'm emphasizing we should be in guard against, which is trusting in our own self-righteousness. But at the same time, I want to emphasize that these are the very things that, like alcohol, stumble people into becoming an alcoholic. Likewise, people end up spending hours and hours with sports and all of these things and money and time and energy, but they don't spend hardly any time praying, seeking God and doing the things for the kingdom of God. You are asleep. And God is trying to wake you up out of your sleep because your life is really shallow and it's really boring and you think you're fulfilling yourself in these little titillating things when there's something far more fulfilling in a relationship with God and a relationship with others. And he's calling you to enter that really. In these last days, God is calling for a remnant of His people to come forth to conquer their nation with the everlasting gospel that will be manifested in His glory in the midst of the assembly of believers and in His glory in your individual lives as you walk about your daily life. And you preach the gospel where you sense God is leading you and you lay hands on those that are sick and you You reach out in compassion and love. God is calling us to a place of awakening in this hour. And of course, I did seek for another chapter for greater confirmation, and God indeed gave it. And so we read this in Malachi 2 5 to 9. My covenant was with him, that's speaking of Levi, of life and peace. And I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me. This is a wonderful fear to have. Concerning the Messiah in Isaiah 33, it says the fear of the Lord is his treasure. The Messiah fully reciprocates as a sponge the Father and the the purity of his holy love that will not tolerate corruption. He totally reciprocates it. There's such beauty in the purity of this love. It is out of the purity of this love that issues all beauty in creation. And so he feared him. The law of truth was in his mouth and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of Yahweh of hosts. And then it goes on to emphasize that they have corrupted the covenant of Levi. And I won't go on. But the emphasis again is on the genuine fear of God that breaks our own self-righteous works because it brings us to acknowledge that we cannot trust in our own righteousness, that we cannot hide our weaknesses from God. We ask God to take away the things that manipulate our lives, the baits of amusement, the baits of (coughs) pleasure, the baits of whatever it is, of competition, of knowledge, or whatever we get consumed with instead of setting aside and making our main focus loving God with all our being and letting him have his way to lead us in our lives. Thank you for listening to this message. Please support me by purchasing this book here. I want to see a work begin and this message to spread across the land of the United States and Canada and the world to bring forth the fulfillment of John 17. Would you help me and those of like heart and mind bring forth God's ultimate
1: pleasure in these last days? Thank you.